you're with us tonight. And um, when, when we read that passage tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, that passage reminds, I, I just get an image when, when the first part of that passage is read. I can do all of these amazing things, I can move mountains and so forth and so on, but if I don't have love, I'm, I'm like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Have any of you ever eaten at a restaurant that had a really loud mariachi band? That's unfortunately the image that's now stuck in my head for 1 Corinthians 13, that opening passage. I could be saying all kinds of wise things, but it wouldn't matter because this this brass-filled mariachi band is drowning me out. And that's not too far off from what Paul is saying. He's saying, you know... There's lots of stuff to do in Christianity. There's lots of good things to explore in Christianity. Whatever your gifts are, whatever your talents are, God's going to enable those. But there's one main thing. And if you miss that, you're going to miss everything else. Nothing else is going to make sense. Nothing else is going to lock into place and fit if you miss this message of love in Jesus Christ. Absolutely fundamental. Of course, I preached on it this morning from the writings of Paul and Peter and others. And so tonight, we're doing these master's classes, and this is the last one. Just drawn from the teachings of Jesus. What does Jesus tell us about this, this thing called love that he taught a great deal about? If you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn over to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. If you ask people to name their favorite parables, this parable will always be mentioned in the top three, if they know any parables. Some people don't anymore, but... For people who know the Bible, this parable, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, the Good Samaritan, everybody loves this one. It really gets us. Gets right to our heart. But the parable itself, like a lot of Jesus' parable, is set uh, in a conversation, a larger conversation. Starting in verse 25, we read this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And the teacher, the the Pharisee, the teacher of the law answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. But, wanting to justify himself, the lawyer asked, And who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus told the parable. That's the setup for the Good Samaritan. And many of you have heard me talk about this before because I really think that the, that the teacher of the law was asking, you know, I don't want to waste my love on people God doesn't force me to love. So could you please tell me what's the narrowest circle I can draw 
so that I don't accidentally go loving people that God doesn't say I don't have to. Right? Who is my neighbor? When it says, love your neighbor as yourself, who is that exactly? And that seems to be the nature of the question, wanting to justify himself. He asked the question like that. That's a good lawyerly question. Give me a legal definition. And Jesus doesn't give him a legal definition. He tells a story. That's so, that's so Jesus. But he tells this great story, and we all know it very, very well. Guy mugged on the rocky road between Jericho and Jerusalem, beaten so that he is likely to die if nobody takes care of him. Along comes a priest, just avoids the problem and goes on with his religious duties. Along comes a Levite, someone who's dedicated to serving in the temple in Jerusalem, avoids the problem, goes on with his duty. And along comes... A Samaritan. In the first century, that was such a dirty word. If, if Jesus was telling the parable today, he would probably say, Along came a member of Al-Qaeda. Along came a member of ISIS. Along came an Islamic fundamental. I mean, he would... Because that's how separated the Jews were from the Samaritans. They actually believed a lot of the same things. They read a lot of the same scriptures. And that just made them hate each other more. They really despised each other. And Samaritans mistreated Jews when they could. And Jews mistreated Samaritans when they could. And there were just a lot of terrible things that had gone on between them. And so, you know what Jesus is going to do as soon as he says that, right? The priest walked by, didn't do anything. The Levite walked by, didn't do anything. And the Samaritan, the Samaritan who normally has nothing to do with any Jew, would be happy to spit on a dying Jew in the ditch. This Samaritan acts differently. He stops. He binds up his wounds. He puts the man on his own beast. He takes him to a place where he can be taken care of. He pays out of his own pocket and promises to pay any more than, than, than that, that, that the innkeeper might incur and says, please take care of him. That's the story. We know the story. It's really well loved. It's said in the context of this legal question, who really is my neighbor? I don't want to love anybody that God's not forcing me to love, so who exactly am I having to love based on the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus, having told the story of the Good Samaritan, then asks a question. I have to admit, when I was a kid, you've heard me talk about this before, I usually read the question Jesus asked as, who was the Samaritan's neighbor? In other words, when Jesus says, go and do that, he was just saying, be kind of like the Samaritan. You see people who are in need, go the extra mile, help them out. That is an awesome lesson. That is a lesson we all should probably follow. I just don't think it's actually the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach in this particular case, because he was trying to answer the legal question. What's the circle of my love? How big or how small is the circle of who I'm actually commanded to take care of when God says, love your neighbor as yourself? And so he asked the question the reverse way. Who was neighbor to the robbed man? The guy who was beaten up. Who was his neighbor? And that totally puts the focus the other way around. It's not a question of be like the Samaritan, go out and see if there are chances to do good works and do them. 
It's really quite the opposite. Imagine yourself in the place of a man who is beaten half to death and is going to die if nobody takes care of him. And think about, is there anybody on earth, any kind of human being on earth, that you wouldn't let take care of you in that situation? Would you... Would you let an OSU fan take care of you in that situation? Would you let a Texas... Would you... Sorry, I had to do that, James. Uh, would you let a Democrat take care of you in that... Would you let a Republican take care of you in that situation? Would you let a Muslim? Would you, would you let a criminal? And the answer is, yeah, 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 yeah. All of those. And then when Jesus says, go and do likewise, we know what he's just said. How big is the circle of who God is telling me to love when he says, love your neighbor as yourself? Who's included in the circle of my neighbor? It's all of those people. Thank you, Eric. can always count on you. That's exactly right. It's all of those people and everyone else. God made all of those people. And therefore, I'm called to love all of those people. I'm called to love all of them. Now, when I realize that's what Jesus is saying, I realize something about me. And this may happen to you as well. I can't do this. This is beyond me. I mean, I have really good intentions. I mean to do this. But I fail again and again And again, my heart is not big enough to do what Jesus is calling us to do. What he's calling me to do. I stop far, far short. Because Jesus says, God loves everybody. And so I want you to learn to love everybody. And in fact, I think that's that's probably uh, just built in. That you and I are not, by our own strength, going to be able to keep this commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's why it's so tempting to try and shrink it back down again. I really only have to love people I like, or people who look like me, or people who I know, or smaller and smaller. Jesus says, make it bigger and make yourself bigger in the process. I don't think I can do that by my own strength. I don't think you can do that by your own strength. I think this requires constantly seeking the help of God to make your heart grow. And it won't happen all at once. But if you try to love a little larger circle of people and you ask for God's help to do that, over time God really will help your love grow. You may not live long enough to really love everybody, but He will help your love get larger and larger. And that is kind of job number one for people who are going to follow Jesus Christ. I want to focus on a couple of others of Jesus' teachings on this topic because it kind of helps us to see how we might do that. Turn over to Matthew chapter 5. You knew I was probably going to get there eventually. Matthew chapter 5. I can never stay very far away from Matthew chapter 5, no matter what I'm preaching on. Matthew chapter 5. Verses 13 through 16, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's not good for anything except to be 
thrown out and treated like dirt. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel basket. Instead, they set it up on a stand. It gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, I want you to be different. I want something to set you apart. I want other people to look at your life and say, that's unusual. That's not the way human beings normally act. That's what Jesus says. I want you to be like salt. Stands out. I want you to be like light. Everyone sees it. That's what Jesus wants from us. And the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount in general are about that topic, and Jesus' teachings about love are about that topic as well. This is how I can have an unusual life, a life that stands out. So, our base command is love your neighbor as yourself. Well, how do you love yourself? How do you love yourself? How do you, anybody? How do you love yourself? Nourish and cherish. Treat with tenderness and kindness. I hope so. How do you love yourself when you know you've been a jerk? When you know you've really messed up. I mean, not just sort of messed up. I mean, really. How do you love yourself in that moment? Do you give yourself the benefit of the doubt? Do you? I give myself the benefit of the doubt. I, I go through all of the reasons why, you know, the, the extenuating circumstances. I know it was bad, but here are the things that I did. This is what was going on. I look for all of those things that might lessen the guilt and might lessen the impact. That's how I love myself when I've messed up. Do, do you do everything you can to try and get yourself back on the right track? Is that how you love yourself? It's how I love myself. When I've messed up, I try. I don't just say, you're hopeless. I wash my hands of me. I can't do that. I don't. I say, okay, let's get back at it. Let's try again. Let's get ourselves back on the right track. And Jesus, basically, the last two of his six uh, problem cases in Matthew chapter 5 are really about that, how you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, especially when your neighbor is particularly unlovely. If you're in Matthew chapter 5, look over, down at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anybody wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Hard to imagine a more unlovely situation when someone comes up to you and just starts beating you about the head. Slapping you, beating you. 
But how are you going to love your neighbor in that situation as you love yourself? My wife, Yodi, has a book. It's a book of photos. Uh, and they're photos from mainly from the era when Stalin was in charge of the USSR. And the whole purpose of the book, she actually picked this up in New Zealand, but that's another story in a bookstore in New Zealand. Just don't go into used bookstores with my wife is really the larger moral of the story. But, but it's really a cool book. This one I'm so happy we have because it actually shows you the process of the USSR's propaganda ministry. You have a photograph at some parade or other with a bunch of people who are, you know, the inner, inner circle of Stalin's group, you know. And then as those people fell out of favor, they went back. I mean, this is way before Photoshop. They went back and had to hand manipulate the, the photograph to just make that person vanish. It's the weirdest thing. You look at the same, everything else is the same. One, one person is just kind of, boop, turned into sky. It's the strangest. And then you go to the next page and another person has turned into sky. And they, and the text tells you when that person fell out of favor and what. Think about the effort that the USSR's propaganda ministry had to go to to maintain that falsehood. You know, here's this great moment in Russian history, and we're having to go and find all the copies of these photographs and erase these people as if they weren't there taking part. Does it take a lot of work to tell lies on that big a scale? So let me ask you this. Thank you. Does it take a lot of work to tell lies to yourself about your own behavior? It does. It is actually work. It's effort. Truth is what naturally happens. Lies always take work. And the more I'm aware of the truth, the harder I have to work in order to keep myself from being a to try and keep it at bay. I've asked this question many times. You guys have heard this illustration. The last time you did something really rotten to someone else, did you tell yourself lies about it at the time? Were you working really hard to say, yeah, but they shouldn't have bothered me when I was tired. They should know what it's like at the end of the day. They just... They ought to know their job better. Do you tell yourself stories like that? I tell myself stories like that. And it's work to build up a picture of myself. Because I want to see myself as not a bad person. I'm a preacher. I want to see myself as a good guy. Even when I'm doing terrible things, I want to see myself as a good guy. It's work. I have to put effort into it. I think we'd all be surprised if somebody were able to do an actual analysis of how much energy, how much brain energy we have to spend in order to keep pictures of ourselves as good people when we're in the middle of doing bad. So, if I come up to you and slap you on the right cheek, I've probably got some story in my head that I'm telling myself about why you deserved it. Say. Some story I've told about you or whatever. I'm sorry, I picked on you because you were just sitting there. Now, if Faye, she wouldn't do this, but if she hit me back, 
What's, what effect is that going to have on the story I'm telling myself? I knew it. She's all those things I was saying she was. I wish I'd have hit her harder. But if Faye does what she probably would do, turn the other cheek, respond in Christian love. I mean, she might give me a stern talking to, but she would respond in Christian love. If she did that, whatever that looks like in that particular situation, what happens to my ability to maintain my fragile network of seeing myself as a good person? It's, it just it just can hardly withstand that, especially if I, Faye does that to me, and Laverne does that to me, and Ruthie does that, and again and again and again and again and again I run into people, these crazy Christians, who keep turning the other cheek, who respond when I'm evil, they respond with kindness. Again, how long can I keep it up before it si- finally sinks in on me? Man, I am not a good person. These Christians are good people, but I'm not. I'm not. And that's what Jesus is talking about. You're not going to help the situation. It's tempting to hit back whenever somebody hits you, but you're not going to help the long-term situation. The way you love your neighbor as yourself when your neighbor is being particularly unlovely and unlovable is by setting the stage for them to stop what they're doing and come back to God. And that's what turning the other cheek, going the second mile, that's what that helps to accomplish. I show a little bit of God's love, and a person has a chance to change. They don't always change. They can treat you really worse after you turn the other cheek. Jesus knew that too. He didn't say this was easy. He just said this is right. This is the right thing to do. And he says the same thing in the next passage. He goes on. And says, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. That's what you've been taught. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good. And He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward are you going to get? Even the tax collectors are doing that. If you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Love even your enemies. How do you love yourself when you are doing wickedness? You love yourself by trying to find ways to help yourself be better. How are you going to love your enemies? Same thing. Same thing. You engage in the same behavior they're engaging in, it's just going to lock them in to where they are morally. But if you can actually break through in one way or another, and again, it looks different depending on what the situation is. But, and you have to use your own wisdom and you have to use God's help to find out how you can love your enemies. But, If you manage to break through and love your enemies, then you are loving them. You're loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And that's what Jesus is calling us to. He says, God does that. And that's what you are called to do as well. Again, only the Holy Spirit, I think, can help us do these things that Jesus is asking. Last passage I want us to look at tonight. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25.
Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. That's Jesus talking about Himself and talking about the judgment day. God has given Jesus the position of judge. And all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on the right and the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. And he says kind of the reverse to those who are on the left side. He says, when you had opportunities to serve the least you refused, and that was me that you were refusing. If you saw Jesus panhandling beside the road, would you stop and give him money? I mean, Jesus! Yeah, you would. If Jesus was in the hospital, would you go visit him? Yeah, you would. If Jesus showed up to visit Wilshire, would you invite Jesus home for lunch? Of course you would. And all Jesus is doing is making clear what love means. He's saying, it is me. Every time. It's always me. I am the one who's sick in the hospital. I am the one who's a stranger and really nervous about visiting a new church. I am that one who uh, is asking for help. That's me. That's always me. It's always me. Jesus came in the flesh. He put on flesh. I think it's just to make explicit what's always been true. God and Jesus, they've never been gone from the world. They're always here in the world. By becoming flesh, He kind of shrunk Himself down so we could see Him and get our minds around Him. But God in Jesus has always been here in the world. And every person that you're looking at, I'm not kidding about this, every person that you're looking about, the worst person in your life, every person that you're looking at, is an opportunity to love Jesus by loving them. And that's just it. Don't get me wrong. I confessed it right at the start of the sermon. I don't have the power to live what I'm preaching. And I doubt that you have much power to live what I'm preaching either. We aren't going to be able to do this by sheer willpower alone, by gritting our teeth and saying, I'm going to love them if it just kills me. That's probably not going to work. 
It's only by letting God come in and change who I am. What I think about, what I care about, what I meditate on, what I fill my mind with, what I fill my heart. It's only by inviting God in day after day that I can begin to live out the high calling that Jesus has set before us. But brothers and sisters, if you call yourself a Christian, it's your calling. If I call myself a Christian minister, it's my calling. This is it. These three remain. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. If you need to respond to Jesus' great invitation, He shed His blood so you can be forgiven. If you need prayers or you are ready tonight to receive Jesus in baptism, then we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.